This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. So how many people woke up this morning and you thought, you know, the holidays are upon us. We're, we're into it now, huh? Past Black Friday, here we go. Hey, can, I, can, can we start this morning with a little bit of holiday cheer? Would that be okay? So I have, um, you know, many of you contributed and helped out with Boys and Girls Club uh, Thanksgiving blessing that we did this last Tuesday. And I have a few slides. Go ahead and run that first one. It should, uh, yeah, it should run up. You'll see some of the pictures behind me. But a bunch of you donated food. Thank you very much. And a bunch of people showed up to help. We had a fabulous time. Not only that, but we had a ton of leftover food, which was okay because we sent food home with families. And Tracy, who's the director down there, she told me later, she said, I had people calling me in tears, thanking me. And not only that, but uh, we, we, we had a lot of food. And I, a lady stopped in and said, hey, hey well, let's give you dinner for your family. And, and you, you want some pie? And she goes, well, actually, I got to pick up pie for Beans Cafe. I said, I got pie for you. I was able just to hand her three pies that she took to Beans Cafe, so the love got spread, huh? Hey, what's our mission? To bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world. And we, get to, we got to see a, a little bit of that at the Boys and Girls Club, and it was really neat. So thank you so much for uh, all of you who participated in that. There's a note that they, that they did. Hey, um... Before we launch uh, in our first, can I, can I pray real quick? I just really feel like I need to pray, so let's pray. Father in heaven, as we gather this morning, we trust that your spirit is with us. As we gather, we gather in your name, but we gather in your presence. So God, we, um, we ask that you would come and uh, allow me, Lord, to, to just be refreshed or remember the things that I feel uh, you would want me to communicate, and Lord, uh, we want to hear most of all from your Spirit this morning. Uh, We just ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, as we get going this morning, does anybody look forward to certain, like, Christmas movies every single year? What's your favorite Christmas movie? Anyone? National Lampoon. National Lampoon? Okay, very wholesome, uplifting. Any others? White, White Christmas? With B, is that Bing Crosby? And that, that was made just a couple years ago, I think. Yeah. What else? What other? It's Incredible Life. Yeah, or It's a Wonderful Life. Man, they show that one every year. And there's Rudolph the Red Nose. A Christmas Story. Don't shoot your eye. You know, whatever. I love those. Um, so I have a question this morning. What would the story look like if it was your life, and it was this Christmas, this year. So the beginning of the movie is say, once upon a time in 2017, on November 27th, fill in the blank, your name, and what's happening with you. As we lit the Advent candle a little bit earlier this morning, I'm calling it the, the, the candle of expectation. And uh, the reality is, I know as we gather in a group this large, that there's maybe a lot of expectations that we have as we come into the holidays, we know are going to come true. 
But there may be a lot of expectations that we had, maybe hopes that we had, that aren't working out like we had hoped at all. And as we start into this new series called Reliving Nativity, now let me give you an explanation. When you see, uh, you know, a church or something, you have to say, hey, well, come, you're going to see a, a living nativity. What do you expect? You're going to show up, they're going to have like live actors, you know, maybe if they're really exotic, they pulled a camel from the zoo or something. I don't know, right? But it's going to be live. It's going to be alive. So we're using that idea of alive and capturing that reliving nativity to say that the nativity story, nativity means birth, by the way, the birth of Jesus, that story needs to come alive fresh in us in our Christmas story for 2017? Can we do that? And that's the question. As we, as we re, reliving nativity, bringing alive again the truth of the nativity story and what it means for you and for me for Christmas 2017. Now, I feel pretty fortunate in life. And yet, as I stopped and reflected about my extended family and things that are going on, it, it's difficult. And I know, again, in a, in a group this size, we have folks here who maybe were hoping this Christmas would be the Christmas where they would have a child. The family would be a little larger, and it hasn't happened. Or this is the Christmas where the marriage, you know, they were going to work things out. It was going to be different than the past years. And instead of being different, it's maybe worse than it was. Or instead of giving a Christmas bonus, you get the Christmas pink slip. Right? The reality of the way life works out and sometimes it's because of our own decisions. We make bad decisions. But the times it hurts and it's difficult is when we've worked hard, right? We've tried to make the right decisions. We've tried to make good choices. And we've, we've done everything we're supposed to do, and yet it seems like it's not working out. And it can leave us feeling a little bit like, okay, I don't understand what God's doing and where God is in this moment. So it's a candle of expectations, but some of us maybe carry this morning unmet, expect, unmet expectations. And if that's you, I want to encourage you this morning, okay, if I can. And uh, we read, uh, Elizabeth read for us from, from Matthew's Gospel. And uh, we're going to look a little bit at Joseph, okay, and the part she didn't read Matthew's Gospel opens up with a genealogy, a long genealogy. In fact, it's really interesting. Here's the very first verse. I'm going to put it up. Oh, it's up there behind me. This is the first verse in, in Matthew's Gospel. He says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, for you and I, that sounds sort of biblical. Doesn't that sound biblical? For a first century Jew, it might sound similar to a... Uh, uh, a political commercial. Now, why is anybody here sad to see the political thing go away, or is it okay? <laughs> but if you watch commercials and stuff like that, what's some of the first things a candidate will mention? Me and my family have been in the state of Alaska for 35 years, or I grew up. I, I went to Chugiak, and not only that, but uh, I've, I've owned businesses. I've run several businesses in the community, you know, it's a way of establishing that that candidate, if they're going to represent us, they're one of us. And they have the right pedigree. They've jumped through the right hoops to be qualified to represent us, right? Well, as Matthew's writing, he's, his primary first audience 
is to new Jewish believers or people who are, have been exposed to Jesus teaching but yet haven't, haven't decided yet where they're going to do with this person Jesus. And all the Gospels, all of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are all trying to communicate the story of Jesus to people, who he was, and how we can respond as individuals, as his disciples, how we learn to trust him and obey him. And so that's what Matthew's doing. And so right off the bat, what he's saying is, hey, he's one of us. He belongs. He's jumped through the appropriate hoops, if you will. That's one of the things he communicates with the genealogy. And he goes on several verses, but on this very first verse, he hits a couple key points. He says, the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, real quick, in the first chapter, I'm going to look at Matthew chapter 1 introduces Jesus, because remember, he's going to help us to see who Jesus really is. And so one of the terms he uses is the son of Abraham. You saw it right there, and he starts the genealogy from Abraham. Well, what does that communicate when he says the son of Abraham? Well, in Genesis chapter 12, God makes an amazing promise. He says to Abraham, says, you, you, I'm, you're going to be my people. Your offspring are going to be my people. And I'm going to make your offspring as numerous as the sands on the seashore. And not only that, but I'm going to bless all of human humanity through you. And so we get this first taste through Abraham of God beginning a process of reconciliation of humanity being separated because this is the amazing truth of Christmas that's hard for you and I. It's hard for me to wrap my brain around. And that is God wants to be with us this Christmas. He wants to be with us at Christmas time. And so this first promise, it certainly is, is true for the Israelites. If, if, if you were a true Israelite, you were a son or a daughter of Abraham. But as we read the New Testament, what we learn is anybody who expresses faith in Jesus is a true son or daughter of Abraham. Because that's how Abraham was justified before God, we read in Hebrews. He became a man of faith. He believed God, and he took action. And so when we read this, the son of Abraham, there's hope there for all humanity. Anybody who puts their trust and faith in Jesus, this is, this is the one who's come, who's the, the son of Abraham. So that's what that communicates to us. The next one is it's the son of David. Now, Joseph is in the line of David. And so this is important because God had made a promise to David that his descendants would sit on the throne and that that kingdom would be an eternal kingdom. And so we see now that, that Jesus is in the line through Joseph, who is not his biological father, but his father nonetheless, right? So he is a true son of David, as a, an heir of Joseph and an heir of David. He begins, he inaugurates an everlasting kingdom, Okay? Another title that comes in here is Son of Mary. Now, why is that important? We actually, around our dinner table uh, with family and friends that were, somehow got on this discussion. It's, it's a mind-boggling thing that the one through whom the universe was made became a baby. 
That's what we, I mean, that's what we believe. That's what we engage with at Christmas time. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's, we can imagine, okay, Jesus walked and he talked, you know, 2,000 years ago or over, you know, right around there. But here's the thing. Jesus still has a physical body. He completely did something different. He entered space and time and the created universe. He became like a created, like one of us for eternity future. So as we read farther in this text that Elizabeth read, he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He has forever bound himself with us. Jesus wants to be with us this Christmas. So if you stop and ponder that for a minute, in other words, that when Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't just go into his previous state, whatever that was, as he existed in eternity past, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he is now taken on human flesh forever as our representative, forever as our Lord and Savior. He entered the world as a baby. He came in the world just like you and I did, the God of the universe. Jesus wants to be with us this Christmas. And I already have up there apparently the Son of God. But it says he's conceived by the Holy Spirit. And it's a reminder for us that if Jesus is coming as our representative and the one for whom is going to bear our sin, he's the only one who can do that as a true human, but as a person who has not sinned, who stands perfect. Jesus really is the example of true humanity as a person who was born in relationship with his Father, whereas the Bible teaches us that for all have sinned and fall short. You see, when we're born... It's not that we sin and become separated. It's that we're, when we're born, our hearts are already bent. We're already stiff-arming God from the time we're a little child, from the time that we're born. And that's where Jesus was different because he didn't have a human father. The biblical theology was laid out for us is that sin nature is passed from father to son and daughter, father to son and daughter, through all generations so he's, he's not a son of Adam in that sense. He's a son of God. He's holy and blameless. He remains sinless so that he can be the perfect sacrifice for you and I. Remember, Matthew's trying to help us see Jesus for who he is so we can put our faith and obedience into him. So he's the son of God. And then finally, I have down here the son of promise. He's the son of promise Matthew, he, this is the first reference he makes to Old Testament prophecy and the fulfillment that Jesus is. He, you know, the, the virgin will be with child and, and you will call him Emmanuel from, from Isaiah seven fourteen. And throughout Matthew's gospel in particular, because he's talking to a Jewish audience who's familiar with Old Testament scripture, familiar with prophecy, he wants to keep pointing out, this is the one that scripture has been waiting for. He's the son of promise. Right from from Genesis chapter 3, right? When, when humanity turned its back on God, sinned against God, and left the Garden of Eden, God said, you know, uh, one is coming where Satan will bite his heel, but he'll crush his head. And this is the son of promise that you can trace throughout the Scripture. Now Jesus is, is showing up. All right. So Jesus is being revealed. 
So naturally, when you think about this and you think about the glory of Jesus, it's understandable why Jesus was born in a palace, right? To very to nobility, right? Everybody recognizes right away. No, that's not right, right? So we pick up the story of, of Joseph, and frankly, maybe it's not altogether different than yours and my story about expectations. He had a certain expectation about how his first Christmas was going to go, right? All indications was he was a very a faithful, a good Jew, a very decent human being. And Mary, too. And as the story unfolds, uh, he finds out Mary's pregnant. And he makes the same assumption that you and I would, right? I mean, he's like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And the story doesn't, you know, it doesn't really paint all the pictures. We don't know if because if, if you read Luke's gospel, what happens is Mary, uh, she, she has the angel Gabriel visits her, say, hey, you're going you're gonna to have a child. And she packs up her stuff and she goes and hangs out with Elizabeth for a few months. Elizabeth, who's the mother of John the Baptist, right? So I don't know what happened. I mean, maybe, maybe Joseph heard from afar. Let's read that again, actually. This is in Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So we don't know if, like, he heard word, hey, uh, you know, your wife, and I'll explain that in a second. Are they married? Are they not married? Hey, your wife, uh, I understand she's pregnant. He's like, what? No, she can't be pregnant. What? Or maybe she showed up and she's starting to show just a little bit or something. It's like, what's the deal? Has she been getting weight? I mean, you, you know, even in our culture today, that's, that's kind of scandalous. Back then, it was really scandalous. And I don't know, it doesn't really fill in the story there. It's like, how did that hit Joseph? What kind of pressure did he get from his family and his community? And what were his conversations with Mary like? And, you know, all it says about Joseph, it says a couple things. It says that he was a righteous man and that he wanted to have compassion on her and do the right thing, but not in a way, I mean, basically to have a lot of compassion on her. But as a Christmas story unfolds, it still gets a little bit, I mean, I'm, I don't know who is planning his travel calendar, but somehow the Roman wants, you know, wants you to go to your town of birth right about the time she's close, apparently, to nine months pregnant, Right? And when they get there, there's no place to stay. I mean, I don't know who's making these arrangements. And, you know, so I, I don't know if God has got to confuse. I mean, why? You know, if you, if you read the story, too, when Mary, Mary has Gabriel show up before it happens. Right? Zachariah, Elizabeth's husband. Did I get that name right? Angel shows up before it happens. Why does the angel not show up with Joseph before? Right? It's like he's already, I, I can only imagine, he's like, man, this is not working out as I expected, right? Why does God do it that way? 
And then, you know, they have to travel to Bethlehem at just a really inconvenient time. And when they get there, there's no place to stay. What is up with that? And yet, somehow, through Joseph's story, through the ordinary, mundane, and even difficult things, God's glory can be revealed. Right? And, and sometimes God's glory seems like it's even amplified through that. Here's the reality of the, the glory of Jesus being revealed at his birth. is the fact that he was born in a barn, right? In a stable, a cave. The fact that the first visitors were low-class shepherd, whatever. See, that's just the wrapping. Because he is glorious in his essence, his glory comes from who he is then the wrapping doesn't matter, right? Hey, you kids, any kids in here, junior high, high school, think about it for a second, like the gift you wish you could get at this Christmas, right? The one you wish you could get. And maybe if you've been extra good, your parents will come through. How much do you care what it's wrapped in? I mean, having a nice wrapping is nice. But ultimately, the wrapping doesn't define what the gift is. And it could be that God's veiled glory that he comes gives you and I an opportunity to say, am I going to look to see where God has revealed his glory or am I going to turn my back and go the other way? There's a lot of people in the story who don't see it as we look at the narrative, and there's other people, as we go in the weeks ahead, they see something. I want to focus in just for a moment on Joseph. Because this is what I find remarkable about Joseph, a little bit remarkable. Now, the story is about Jesus, but we learn about ourselves and we see the characters around him. Joseph, and when you read between the lines, right, and you just read as you continue to read the story, he was, he was a man who, who seems to be that he really wanted to do the thing that God had asked him to do, even when it wasn't meeting his expectations. In other words, as Jesus, you know, they take him, they have him dedicated on the eighth day. Every year they make the trek to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. I mean, these are people that are want to engage in the life that God had called them to. And when things don't work out, here's the thing. When things don't work out sometimes... Because we can have this sense, like, you know, I tried really hard. I did all the right things, right? I was very careful in my dating life, and somehow I married a schmuck. Or, you know, I, 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 I didn't cheat on any of my tests. I, I tried to do the right thing, and, and somehow I'm the one that ends up with a bad grade, and the people who cheat get ahead. See, in that moment, we have an opportunity to decide. When things aren't working out as we expect, because here's... What we can choose to do if we're not careful is decide, well, I don't like the hand that God has dealt me, so I'm going to do things my own way now, right? It can be an active, almost like an active rebellion. Like, oh, yeah? Well, let's take things in my own hand. Or it could be a passive. It could be a passive where we just grow weary of being faithful to the things that God has called us to. Joseph is an example of somebody who continues when the expectations aren't working out, when the wholesome bride he thought he was going to get. By the way, as a side note, 
in Jewish culture, you're pledged, you could be pledged to be married at a very young age, like say 12, 13, you're pledged to marry somebody. And then you actually in, enter, I'm not going to get this, I'm, I'm terrible at English, by the way. Uh, a, oh, no, no, I'm thinking the wrong word. I'm not going to say the word I'm thinking of. Uh, I have it here in my notes here. Betrothal, that's the word I'm looking for, I think. You enter betrothal period. Now, that's, that's not that different than what, I mean, there's a contract. At that point, you're considered married. In fact, if during the betrothal period, if you were to die, you could be a widower or a widower after that, right? But the couple did not live together. It was for a period of time, for like up to a year or something like that. And that's why in the text there, it's, it's hard to discern now. They married because it says that Joseph's wife, he was trying to figure out what to do with his wife. Well, they're in that betrothal period, right? The, the contract, they've already made vows. They're committed to one another. It's just a period of time before they consummate the marriage and have a final ceremony. So it's in that time somewhere in there that, that Joseph's like, right? This is not working out as I expected. Trying to be careful. So anyway, he remains faithful. And the other thing he does is when the angel shows up, and for Joseph, it, he, the angel shows up in a dream. It's not quite as direct. Now, there's a whole tradition in Jewish culture of God speaking and angels coming in dreams. But it's interesting as you read the different angel visitations, you would think you and I, if an angel shows up and tells us something, then we would just do it and be like, oh my goodness, there's a glorious angel there. Of course I'm going to do whatever. But when you read Scripture, what you realize, we still are left with a choice of what we're going to do. And when Joseph hears the voice of God through the angel, he does it. He just, he just does it. Now, Zechariah, if we get there sometime during this, you know, he questions. It's like, well, how can this be or whatever? And Joseph doesn't get caught up in questioning and what, you know, well, that was a dream. Well, how could we wait? If you've got an angel, I only had a dream, you know. I mean, I, I don't know what. The point is, he obeys and I'll just, as a side note to that, I grew up in a tradition where if, if you say God spoke to me, you'd say, well, what verse and chapter was that in? This idea that God is alive, that he wants to be with us, that he wants to speak to us, that was kind of scary for the tradition I brought up in. And it's still, it's difficult for me. And I'll just share my own personal thing that I'm trying to do to encourage you because I think God wants to speak to us. He's not trying to hide from us. He wants to reveal his glory to us. But he's going to do it through the mundane, through the difficult circumstances through our life. Not by getting that perfect piece of property that we've been watching for at half price or by winning the lottery necessarily, right? God's glory is revealed through the mundane things of life. So, what I've, what I've tried to do is when I sense that God is telling me to do something, I'm, sometimes I'm not even sure, but I'm going to do it. As long as it's in, in accordance with Scripture and in accordance with the wisdom of people that I trust, godly people, I'm going to do it. And if I get it a little bit wrong, right, at least I'm going to try and do it. I don't always do it. I, I wish I said I could, but I'm going to try and do it, but I'm, I'm going to exercise that so that I'm developing this pattern that when God speaks, I obey. I want to be like Joseph. I want to be faithful. And when God speaks, I want to obey. And what I discover is the more I do that, the more sensitive I get to the, the voice of God, right? 
And the better I develop that muscle of obedience. And when I start going the other way, it just works the other way. When I stop listening, when I stop obeying, I stop hearing. Funny how that works. So a couple lessons from Joseph's life. Now, what I'd like to do right now is I'd like to pray. And, you know, it's, it's, we don't do it sometimes in, in uh, churches that are more of a freedom-based worship. There's not liturgical and stuff. But there is a, a biblical precedent as well as uh, a historical precedent for the church coming together and confessing sin together. And I'd like to pray for myself and for all of us for the times when we haven't been faithful because things haven't worked out like we'd like. Whether it's been active or, or whether it's just been passive. Can I do that? Would that be okay? As we enter into Christmas, we want to experience the God who is present. Let's, let's pray together. Father in heaven, this morning, we thank you that you love us. You want to be with us. And God, we do confess that when difficult things come, we don't always pass the test. Sometimes we're passive. Lord, sometimes we are just outright rebellious. Choosing to throw in the towel. Remind us that you're a God who is faithful even when we're faithless. That you're a God who reveals your glory when we choose to be faithful, when we choose to be obedient. And God, thank you for the work that you're doing in our hearts and lives today. As we enter into this Christmas season, I pray, Lord, for my heart, I pray for each heart here, that we would allow your story to remind us of your glory and of your intent to bring us back into relationship with you, to fill us with your spirit, to make us useful for your eternal kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up here. I'm just going to make a final point here. As we read on, there at the bottom of this passage I read, it says, uh, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You know, uh, in the genealogy, a couple of things. Let's pick up a couple stray pieces. In the genealogy, one of the things that you see there is a bunch of people whose lives were full of faithlessness. And yet God chose to reveal his glory. When we put ourselves in the line of where God is moving, when we choose to respond in faith, we get to see that. We get to be a part of it. So even if you've been faithless, the invitation is to be faithful, to be obedient. And remember, God wants to be with you this Christmas. He is Emmanuel, God with us. That's what's in the first chapter. I'm going to put up what's in the very last verse of Matthew. The very last verse, Jesus has gathered his disciples, and this is what he says, I am with you always 
to the very end of the age. I don't know about you, I, I, I find this tug in my life all the time to turn Christianity into religion and a set of things I do rather than this personal relationship with a God that exceeds my expectations in wanting, wanting fellowship with me, wanting me to be a part of his kingdom, wanting me to experience new life. And so that's... That's my encouragement to you today as we continue to worship.